It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hi, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the third episode of the second season of HBO's Westworld. This one is called, I'm going to not say it correctly, but it's Virtue e Fortuna. I'm sure that's very Italian and not the way that I said it. <laughs> so what that is, Paul, is is Machiavellian principles of how to lead. And the concept is that virtue is not virtuous like we all think of it now, meaning like always doing the best right thing or the most compassionate thing. But it is about doing what is necessary in order to have your country or your flock, if you will, remain stable. So fortuna is things you can't control. It's bad luck. It's the it's a flood that comes and happens. But if you have good virtue, then you've planned ahead and you are able to divert the floodwaters and have pre-prepared the people who are near the flooding areas. So Dolores is most definitely following under this virtue for me, which means it's not doesn't mean that she's always good. It means that she's willing to do what is necessary at all times. Teddy would be who most people might think is the virtuous one. But in fact, he has proven in this episode not to be willing to do what is necessary to keep things stable. By letting those those confederados go when he did, he is leaving a very unstable force just out in the wind there that could come back at any time and haunt us. And so I am going to call this all about Dolores. Yeah, that's the connection I made as soon as you read the, the definition and you said the does what needs to be done part. That was pretty clearly who the they were referring to. And even maybe it's not even correct to say Dolores, would it be more correct to say Wyatt? Wyatt is the part of the personality that's willing to do whatever needs to be done. Yes. So then we'll say Wyatt. Let's talk right up front about our various timelines that we're dealing with. We remember you guys, we have four different timelines that are going on. We have the pre-killing spree, if you will, right? right? We have the two weeks that the killing spree is going on. We have the now that's happening. And then we have the like, even before we were Westworld time as well. That's like the before the before. We don't have to worry about that one this week. We don't. But we do pick up what must be like the day or two before the end of the first season taking place in another part of the park that to me looked like India under British rule, which I thought was, was an interesting thing because in the future is India so far different from like Westworld. You can't reproduce just out in the world, but isn't, doesn't India still have jungles and and things in it? Sure. But I think it's that more this uh, lifestyle that existed like a la Hemingway type with the white outfits and the, you know, these sort of safari kind of feel. It's It's, the hunting the tigers probably, right? Yes. That you you wouldn't be able to do in the future because there probably aren't any. Well, who knows that too, but it, but it's this whole like Bombay company feel, you know, that time when the British ruled and there's just this like finery and elegance that exists that no, I don't think it's quite the same now that uh, India is not ruled by Great Britain. It's quite, quite different now and in the future, I think will be even more different. So, so I think actually this would be a time that I would, I would enjoy vacationing in. It was such a time of like elegance and finery. I think it would be really neat. These two people that we zero in on, an American and a British, an American woman and a British man, are mm, adventuring, I would say. Well, they brought up a really interesting idea that I never really considered before. 
all the other people before us have interacted with hosts so much as we know. But this was like Grace, the woman, was specifically wanting to interact with another human. What a fascinating idea. This is like the whole concept of like getting on words with friends, but really just using the words chat area in order to have an affair. Like essentially she was going to hook up with another human being in this vacation land. That's very different to me than if you go have drinks with Clementine and then come back to your wife. This she's, feels very different. She's a very complex character for such a short amount of time. She, she, We know that this is before the final events of the first season because she wants to test Nicholas, thereby she shoots him with one of the prop guns and it hurts him but doesn't kill him. And that's good enough to, you know, make the love. Everything about Grace just really stank of Cullen. Her practicality in shooting him like that, obviously her physical aesthetics, but just everything about her. She seemed so pragmatic with her map that she had in her notebook. She was just so on point the entire time. It was like, we have this checklist before we're going to have sex and here's how we're going to do this. And it was just extremely Cullen-esque. For those of you wondering, who's Cullen again? Cullen was the park director that Ford killed midway through the season last time. Remember Teresa? That was her. And she was having an affair with Bernard, whom she thought was a human. So hold up a moment. When we're talking about all this like DNA and could you come back and blah, 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 blah. What if she's so stuck on making sure the person that she's having any type of intimacy with is a human because... Maybe Cullen's DNA is somewhere in Grace's line here, and Cullen got burned by ending up having sex with a host. Yeah, but she only found that out like seconds before you don't she know. died. You don't know, P. You don't know what's going on here. You don't have any idea. All this right. is my theory. All right. Well, the the most interesting part was not the uh, sexual escapades for me. It was the next, I don't know if it's the next day, but... Because, you know, they're on elephant back, and I don't know that that gets you anywhere very fast. But the next time we see them, these two are together hunting, I guess. They're carrying right, they're rifles. Safari. And when they get down, she takes out this paper map that's in a book. I guess it's a book. It's a page in a book that's a map. And <laughs> right. and uh, But what's interesting about it is that there are these two hexagons that are drawn in a fashion that kind of overlap. And they're done in a very technically accurate looking fashion. They, they're not just like sketched in. You know what I mean? Right. And there were two other times that we saw that same symbol. Do you remember the another time you remembered it? No. I know that I know that from from like war games. That's that's oh, one oh, that's okay. one with they split up the, the battlefield on, in a war game is, oh. is with with hexes. So it's and like, like that overlapping section. Well, the overlapping part wouldn't really happen in a in a war game. The the concept is you know, one person to a space. But. Okay. All right. Well, so the two places that I was aware of seeing that symbol was when Hale came into that DNA collection area with Bernard in a previous episode, and she went to log in. The screensaver had that logo. Mm -hmm. Had that same logo there when she was like, going to try to log in. And then the other time we saw it was in this episode when Bernard was successfully getting into Abernathy's uh, embedded code that we all know is like the big file they were trying to get out of the park. He didn't know what it was, but that symbol was on that iPad screen while he was working in there. So I don't know exactly what that all means, but there's definitely a connection with Grace and, you know, Delos and or this whole 
well, industry she's, here. She's also co- commenting on being close to the edge of the park where things aren't quite the same as they are closer to the center. She's it's her. They Nicholas always said it got more wild as you got to the edges. Do you remember when? And she seems to be intentionally looking for the edge. Yeah, remember when they put Logan on horseback and slapped his butt? Like it was like the idea was like to head him towards a boundary line, right? And like the closer yeah. you get to the boundaries, the more crazy things are supposed to be. So she's clearly looking for something and willing to take extra steps, you know, with maps and going where most guests don't go to try to do it. However, cut short by Ganju. I liked very much that she had already picked up on the fact that there was a problem because she recognized that there weren't any other hosts hanging out ready to serve them. No one was making lunch. Things weren't happening correctly. And when she pulled back that curtain and revealed that there were dead bodies, Nicholas still didn't even catch on. I mean, it's like, come on, come on, guy. The scenario with Ganju, it it provides a little more color, but no more answers to the idea of how are the hosts getting woke? I mean, he said the words. He said the violent delight words. And he's not in Westworld. He's not anywhere near Westworld. From what we understand, though, all hosts are part of a greater network and sort of like that hive mind kind of situation. So there was some part of it that we knew that they could spread information from host to host, but that it did take some amount of like telephone tree proximity to to get it. You're right. Proximity. So it's like, I guess, as it got closer and closer and closer and closer to this um, Indian area um, that that then it was starting to cross those boundary lines. And clearly there was something up with those boundary lines, because as we're going through here, you know, um, Ganju totally blows Nicholas away and Grace is like set on foot having to run. I was so surprised when they showed that tiger just walk right through that laser beam. Like, no big thing. Like, I thought certainly he would be held back, but it's like the boundaries of the the lands mean nothing anymore. Right. Yeah. So what she's talking about is that there's a tiger, of course. I think we've met this tiger. I believe we definitely have. Corpse form Mm -hmm. uh, that chases Grace, and they wind up getting pushed off the edge of this, this cliff, and then... Next time we see them, they're washed up. Yeah. The fascinating thing about that cliff is that Grace had mapped the area and she seemed to know where she was running. Exactly where she was running. And she was shocked when she came to the edge of that ocean. The terraforming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we know that even the most well-informed guests who have been there many times weren't aware that this sea came about. So how quickly that sea was filled in, it's kind of boggling, right? Like, how in the world did Ford do that? Well, I mean, they're on an island. We know that much. So, you know. I don't. I don't. I mean, he just like, I mean, is this like, it's kind of like lost. Maybe it's like a cork on the bottom he like let out. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. the cork sitch. Yeah. Um, but so. The end of her chapter is though, looking up into the, the waiting, tender, loving caress mm. and arms of, of a, of a bunch of ghost nation guys who were sharpening their knives dude Ugh. but here's the thing i don't think it's the end of the of her story i think that the only reason why we spent so much time with her and looking at her book hell yeah we're gonna keep seeing her and and we kind of need this person that's like outside of just hail you know because that's just not enough right now here's the thing about the two of them though that really strike a chord is that they're both very young women at least their bodies are 
Mm-hmm. And that strikes me as interesting. Pretty concurrent with with her washing up on on uh, the shore. We're going to pick up with the storyline involving Hale and Bernard and their quest for to find Abernathy. Were you so surprised to see that Rebus had Abernathy? Well, a little bit surprised because we've been introduced to a lot of cowboys, but I mean, him and his milk bandits have <laughs> been involved in trouble like all along the way. Right. So, so somehow they had set up like a meetup with the Confederados and they were going to get money per head. Yeah. I thought it was pretty clever that they managed to get him to lure him away from the group and basically have Bernard just do a quick reprogram <laughs> reprogram. And he comes back like the Mary Poppins of the bandits. Mary Poppins that had a lightning fast and accurate gun. He Don't took... you think Mary Poppins would, Paul? Come uh, on now. You think Mary Poppins would be a bad shot? Well, I think no she'd way. be a good nanny. Daily, she's practically perfect in every way. Give me a break. <laughs> Including in gunplay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a good plan, except for the the timing for the Confederados was a little close uh, for it to actually work. That would have been some good information, Rebus, to pass along. Right. You might want to tap into that a little bit. Man, it always ekes me out when they have to do that um, like IV business. You know, they have to slice yeah, the wrist. It's very and- messy. And I guess just as like a human being, the idea that like if you slit someone's wrist right there, they would bleed out like immediately. So the idea that you could just like stick a I like a I don't know computer cord up there is like ooh, it gives me the heaves every time. Like like they have a USB jack. Yes, it's like right there. Ugh, gross, gross, gross. So the, the tail end of that is that Hale gets away. Very heroically, just goes and finds a horse and runs away. No, and man, the the other guys were horrible shots. And uh, Bernard is like a non-combatant. I mean, he's wearing his suit. He has his hands up. He's clearly not going to put up a put up a struggle. But Abernathy's just—he's in this state where we finally get to see what was meant when Sizemore told Hale that he shoved him. He filled his brain up with the Delos IP. And then gave him enough of a personality to get on the train and get back off. Right. And now we see what that looks like. And it's a guy who is super confused. Yes. Is obsessed with the trains. Kind of like, this is going to sound terrible, but in like a Rain Man kind of way. Well, see, and I was taking it like the White Rabbit in um, in Alice in Wonderland. How he's always like, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And he just kind of runs through a scene. Yeah. He was like almost the same way. He's like, I got to get to the train. I got to get to the train. And then he's just like gone. You don't know where he went or what he's up to. And that's all he's got. Yeah. It's very similar and very much feeling like the time is ticking down for him. Like if he doesn't get somewhere soon or somebody doesn't do something soon, he's just going to shake apart. You know, mm-hmm. he's yeah. definitely they said it was like how many like 20 different old storylines that were all just like mixing and matching and it, oh, gosh, it was hard to watch. I give the actor who plays him mad props because the the small nuances, the way he like rolls his eyes and he will like close one eye and half of his face is doing one thing. And I mean, it's you guys should take a second look at it and really watch all these like small movements he does to indicate how chaotic his brain is working. It's it's really wonderful piece of acting. I agree. And it's, it's, it's a, it's not a huge role. So I don't know. It's, 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 isn't it great when TV shows can find these actors whose face you, you never seem to recognize from show to show, 
but they have as much acting ability yeah. as anybody in the room. You know, and <laughs> you when know? you think about how many like quote unquote extras there are on this show with like so many people having to play these extremely odd roles of playing like host, but you're supposed to act human, but like you might be coming alive to human, but sometimes you're a robot. I feel like that these quote unquote extras are like, they're all like the main cast, even though they're supposed to be background characters, they have to be at this like level of acting that you believe it, you know? I mean, one or two people acting a little too hammy would ruin the entire effect. And we've seen plenty of shows where you get that ham bone guy in the background who just... He did not get the memo that we are not we're we're not going to be so overt with the way we're handling things. And this just isn't the case in this show. Like there's not a dud in the bunch. The Confederado capture of Bernard and Abernathy leads us into our next segment involving the Dolores slash Wyatt. If you look on my noteboard, Caroline, you'll see DW listed oh. as Dolores Wyatt. I love it. Yes. <laughs> She's a total DW. She's a total DW. <laughs> If y'all don't know what DW means, you have to watch Arthur. <laughs> the art the, the bark, yes. <laughs> or read a book. Read a book. Try that too. But um, read a motherfucking book. <laughs> and if you don't know that song, hit up some YouTube and enjoy some some massively hilarious jams. <laughs> okay, so they have to convince the Colonel right to work together, and it went well. But old DW definitely. Turns out to be quite the backstabber. Yeah. I mean, she's got this whole plan and it takes all episode does. to um, pan out. I did not expect this because I legitimately thought she needed the numbers of men. Me too. And so it seemed like really short sighted that like in this one first assault, you would be willing to sell them all out. Yeah. What she's referring to is this plan where she knows that they're going to be assaulted. So... She uses the Confederados out in the field as basically a, I got it as like a Spartan wall of bodies, you know? Yeah. I mean, I did you gather that it was basically to get them close enough for them to be able to detonate the nitro? Yeah. But the dumb thing that I felt like it was like, why couldn't they let the guys come into the into the actual area and close the doors. Don't they think the soldiers would have still come up to the doors? The, those front doors would be a lot harder to get to with all those bodies. So there's that. But still, it's still it, it only seems like a very short I don't know. It just seems issue, weird. You know, like not... They can bring in helicopters that, that they don't even know about, you know? Yes, so, good call to that. Which is a little bit of a surprise that they are just trying to go like almost hand-to-hand combat with them. They're kind of lo-fi with their Jeeps. They and... are. Yeah. Good call on that. Kind of odd. But wrapped up in the middle of the backstabbing is this Dolores part of Wyatt discovering Abernathy amongst the captives. Very cool scene. She finds dear old dad and Bernard and she's like, take him to the hospital, put him in the jail. <laughs> yeah, she's got no love for Bernard. She recognizes him. She absolutely she does. She knows exactly who that guy is. Do you know what I find super fascinating? Um, I was thinking about this when she when she was discussing this with Teddy, that it was her dad. And I appreciated how he took his cowboy hat off. Because if you guys don't live in a 
like culture where men wear cowboy hats. We do. And it would be the type of thing that when hearing bad news, it would be appropriate to take your hat off the way Teddy did and kind of put it on his chest. That's like very much a a sign of, you know, respecting what she's saying. And so when he did that, um, the other thing is that typically, this is a girl thing, typically a man who's wearing a cowboy hat is actually hard to hug in any kind of way or embrace because the brim of their hat is such. And so like just um, pragmatically, it made sense to have him take his hat off so that they could embrace next. Otherwise, I think Mm. the shot would be messed up. Um, And so, uh, again, that's coming from a girl who's bumped a hat or two (laughs) upon an embrace. And so it's important to take it off. And so that was kind of like a cool little side thing. What was what was really getting to me was the idea of how much do they believe they're alive? Because if Dolores believes that this man is her father, her dad, you get to this interesting concept of like, well, he's not really your dad. He is a fellow host. Well, it's the same deal as Maeve with the daughter. It's 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 like you can see it in their face. They both have a a rational understanding yes. of that fact, but an emotional need to act the way that they're acting and to have family. Mm, yeah, and like they still like seek family, even though like you're right. Like on some rational level, they must know that they were not born of parents like that you know Mm -hmm. they're and we haven't seen them have the that understanding yet but surely they must start to understand that at some point so it's interesting to have this parent child moment and i do appreciate the whole idea that she was saying that for the entire lifetime she's had it's been you will and now it's i may I loved that whole concept. What did you think of that? It's the basic teenager needing to get out of their parents' house kind of thing. It very much is. And it's the same deal with them. They feel the same way. And we've kind of had a conversation. I know I have with other people. Our own kids are not quite big enough yet. But the idea of like just because you can, or I'm going to say you may, it doesn't mean you should. And so that's one of the things that like I think that as you're growing, especially when you're a teenager or like that early 20s, Just because you now have the freedom to do something doesn't mean you should act on that um, or do all the things, you know, (laughs) you should, you're supposed to have some amount of internal discretion. Yeah. And, and compass there to say like, well, that's too far. I don't know what I thought about the idea of that family business with Teddy and how much that she's now twisted this idea of like, you're my only guy left because my dad has been compromised. And she really like laid it on thick with Teddy. Like, look what they did to him. Look what they've messed up with this, this poor man. And then Teddy is like still not getting it. Well, and he's very ripe to be taken advantage of in this situation. And she's proving to be a very ruthless person. Very. So, Well, she's got virtue in I that mean, way. Having seen Teddy in the in the pool at the what we consider to be the end of the season already, that doesn't to me that doesn't necessarily mean he's dead. They just turn these things off and on when they want. You know what I mean? Well, I so, think about that too. Even when they saw the sea of bodies and they were all like, "Oh!" It's like, what do you mean, huh? It's just it's a pain in the ass to collect them all up and clean them back up again. Like, right? It's not really the same thing as seeing dead organic things floating in the water. Like it would be more like seeing 
wreckage of something that you were going to have right. to build back together, but it's not quite the same thing. Although, obviously, with their, you know, this new awakening, we guess we don't really know. Here's the other joke of it. We don't know their bodies. What if they're not dead, Paul? There's no reason why they have to be dead just because they're floating. Yeah, they could be sandbagging it, waiting Dude, to be collected they... and then be like, oh. Watch me put my pennies on sandbagging it. And that Teddy, yes, we've seen him with his eyes closed underwater. And I bet we get a bing eye open as well. Because there's no reason not to. There's literally no reason not to. They have no reason to be truly dead. Fact or fiction. I think it's going to be something where Bernard tried to kill them with the release of some water or something. And like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's not that they die. It's that their body receives enough damage that would kill a normal human. And since they're there to emulate humans, kills them too by turning them off. Mm. I think that's what happened to them. It just forced a shutdown on all of them. And, you know, maybe waterlogged some of them, but doesn't, but I still think they're recoverable. I think they are totally recoverable. And I, and again, like I'm still leaning on the leg. I could do a dead man's float for a while. And if I was a robot, I could do it for even longer. <laughs> okay. So I'm just saying that'd be a dead robots, uh, dead float. robots float. Exactly. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Bernard's current condition because he is not doing very good, Paul. He's got the shakes again. Uh, ah, and, he, shakes. and he doesn't really have another source of brain to brain fluid um, standing by that he has <laughs> very willing access to. So he's only going to get worse, but we know that he makes it for the next two weeks. So he must find something soon. So one of the things that I, I noted was that, you know, he was definitely shaking and everything. He's trying to figure out what's going on with Abernathy and he gets into those files. And I do believe that he, when he decrypts the files that he does see something. I am going to again, put my chips on. He sees something con concerning DNA. That's what I think it is. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode and the idea that I thought that Jim Delos and Peter Abernathy had some connection. I don't know if it's a, truly a, a actual you know, a uh, memory type, you know, transplant type of thing, conscious, if you will. But I think there's something having to do with the collection of DNA, this concept of immortality, this idea of Delos at his retirement party saying stuff about like, you know, some of us, you know, don't have to have the patience of others, blah, 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 blah. That whole conversation to me leads to I'm going to put my body guts DNA into one of these hosts. And Abernathy just, I don't know why, but he's the spotlight's on him for me with Jim. Bernard's reaction to decrypting the big file, because he sussed out. <gasps> Wait, size, can, I, can no. I have a moment? Wait, no, no. Just for a second. If Sizemore's conversation where he says that he wrote himself basically into the story with Isabel and Hector and all that, right? Yeah. Then if Peter Abernathy equals Jim, then William could still marry Jim's daughter, reflecting real life, by marrying and being with Dolores. Who's the... William. Okay. But that ship has sailed. Oh, that no ships have sailed. I'm... Just put it there. Just put it there. Put okay. Put it there. And the, like, I feel like that's why we had that whole conversation about the, like, it's so sad that you wrote this fan fiction and you basically wrote yourself into this... And blah, 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 blah. I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. I know that was like a cryptic, like weird way to like throw it out there. But I just feel like there's something, now that I just connected that Peter Abernathy and Jim 
are both representative of the fathers in both William's real life and whatever, like the father-in-laws, then he married Jim's daughter and he wants Dolores, Peter's daughter. There's something wiggy there. Okay. What I was going to say was I I believe that you are right. When Bernard did decrypt the big file, his, he already knew what he was looking for. He wasn't probably supposed to decrypt the file, but he knew that Peter Abernathy was a walking treasure trove of IP. He knew this, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. And so he knew that this was going to be there, but but he did react with some amount of surprise. So yeah, I think you're right. He did see something in there that was he didn't expect to find there. He probably expected to find how to make hosts, you know, how to, how to do that kind of stuff. I think he probably found something a lot more like how to put a human being into a host. And that's why he went like, because he already knows how to create a host. He's been a part of that. He doesn't get to dick around with all this too much because there's a Confederado assault or a Delos assault happening on the Confederado base going on all around him. So crazy. Uh, I would also like to mention that that scene when they do decide to open the doors and go ahead and step on out, that part where they decide to take some time to stab the Confederados who were laying on the ground, like just to be sure everyone was dead on the way out, that was particularly gross. And it reminded me exactly of... The Wizard of Oz and the um, the guardsmen, because they have those long sticks with the dagger at the ends, and they're just stabbing and stabbing on the way out. I believe those are called pikes. Yeah, well, they're piking people, Paul. Before they get to that, though, a recently rediscovered fleeing from the Confederados' hail has met back up with the Delos security people, and has come up with a better plan. So she is going to use the little-known fort back door to come in and steal Abernathy, which works. When you saw this, were you like, forts have back doors? Or (laughs) or were you wondering, like, how would you leave uh, the back door just I've been to the Alamo, and I know that there are more doors than just the front. Yeah. Yeah. So in some way, I guess a little bit, I do know that forts do have other areas. Yeah, I know that there's got to be because they don't need to have like the hard, big door be the only way in. Right. That's a pain in the ass. People come in late. The door's always swinging. People are sleeping. But if you're under attack, is it is it always maybe a military person could chime in? But is it that everybody needs to needs to face the enemy that's coming and they, they just can't even spare a person to, to look at the places where the enemy still might come? Yeah, and I think part of it is that those doors are teeny tiny compared to the, you know, gigantic door, you know. Big enough to get Abernathy. Bernard tries to make a run for it, but... Clem, who look like the freaking Walking Dead, Paul, her body was like... Yeah, it's kind of herky-jerky. And her skin? I mean, it was all like... I mean, she looked like a zombie, straight up a zombie, which... I would like to say that when that scout came back and he was trying to describe to the Confederados and Dolores and everybody that it truly men were coming from the east and more specifically, they were coming up out of the ground because they were coming up on elevators. Yeah. Can you put that in like that would look like zombies, Paul? That would look like they were actually coming up from under the ground. I mean, it would look like they were coming from hell, right? Yeah, but they're not on the same team. Delos was coming up out of the ground. Clementine is with Dolores' gang. Oh, I know. 
I know this. I know this. You're, but just, you're just mashing it all together into one big zombie concept, pastiche? Yes, yes. I'm saying this concept of having these people who are looking like zombies and having these different characteristics as zombies. It doesn't matter that they're from different things. I just think it's like this idea of like the undead and the like what's alive, you know, because you're not dead, but you're not alive, but you're but like what is alive then? Because like all these different things have like these various stages of like alive going on. I don't know. It was creepy. When he said they're coming up out of the ground, that was like all kinds of like wig. People have commented that Dolores is Terminator Dolores this season. Mm. And she really went <laughs> as far as she can to prove that when she took on Hale's little band all by herself and got shot, I think three times and yeah. just didn't matter. It didn't. I think, I think what has happened there, she is, she has found whatever the programming is that makes you hurt and die as a result of physical wounds. She just turned it off. And, you know, if she succumbed, she could still succumb to massive physical injury, you know, but this, but the, but the gunfire and stuff like that, I think that's all done. Like it would have to be a lot of gunfire or, Getting tossed off a hill. Or yeah, it was something. still surprising though that like with those machine guns that they didn't bust her up quite a bit more. You know, she's been we, built we, and rebuilt. I mean, we saw when Ganja got um, his face blown off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I know that was like an elephant gun or whatever, so I recognize that's like a different type. It's a shotgun, but, right? But I mean, still, holy moly, right? That was that really did some freaking damage so well let's move on to our other hostess with the mostest miss Maeve. when we catch up with her she's leading hector and oh, wait, sizemore sizemore's wearing like this <laughs> hobbit outfit i know it's old west but it's still very hobbit looking i don't know what they did to sizemore because in the first season he looked like british aristocracy right okay well-dressed very snooty looking all the time kind of thing in this he looks he looks like sam from the hot from uh lord of the rings like just like kind of mouth agape like i can't believe this is happening to me kind of kind of stuff <laughs> and it still looks that way well and it's a stable boy costume right yeah and he he's in charge of dragging the the, the donkey freaking behind, burrow. right <laughs> Who's who's playing his part very well, right. burrowing it up right. completely. So they end up going in this creek crossing where they end up meeting up with Ghost Nation. What did you make of that? Did you think they were going to give Sizemore over or what? And did you expect that Hector was going to start talking in local tongue? I, I pretty much knew they weren't going to hand over Sizemore because she's not she hasn't done whatever it is she thinks she needs to do with him just yet. Um, I'm more surprised Hector didn't just start laying down fire to um, secure their escape. But I guess he probably knew where there were two or three. There was probably a dozen. So. I think it was very much like that Velociraptor sitch, right? Where like the ones you're looking head on are not the ones who are actually going to attack you. It's the guy over there to the left who's about to take you down. So I think he actually did a good job by actually being like diplomatic and it, and like talking it through because that actually is a higher level than what Hector would have been as a host. You know, the host, you're right, would have just opened fire, but but actually negotiating with them and talking it through, that was like a true understanding, you know? Right. The, I guess, let's see, let's think about what the Ghost Nation's been doing. Like, we know there that- are at so the, many. At the end of last season, they collected stubs and somehow he got away from them. So 
the ghost nation are not killing living humans right away out of hand. And we know that in the first episode of this season, when when it's the now timeline uh-huh. and uh, Costa restarts a, a ghost nation guy out on the field, we see that Dolores had killed him. So whatever ghost nation is up to is not the same plot as the settlers or whatever you want to I agree. call them. And they seem to kind of be like everywhere. Like there's a little bit of them everywhere. They seem to be playing out in a bunch of different spots. I mean, like we were saying, they, they run into Grace. They're over there. They're over here messing around with Maeve. Like, you know, if, if you think everything's going okay, turn behind you. There's a ghost nation guy. <laughs> you know, they had that total PTSD moment for Maeve that yeah. I was kind of worried she was going to kind of, you know, wig out. She's cool now. She's cool. She was having a hard time, though. Right, you but know? in the moment, she she just what is it? Stay calm and carry on. That's what she yeah, did. Yeah, <laughs> she did. I mean, and Sizemore talks to her a little bit about it when they're going into that underground area. He was so funny with them, with Hector and Maeve. That whole hand holding, he like couldn't handle it. He couldn't deal. No, wasn't that so weird? But it was more, as he explained, from a personal. It wasn't. He had trouble computing something that he thought was hard coded. But it turned out to be a personal thing that he had written Hector to be unhappy because of his own unhappiness in his own personal life. Well, and I think it wasn't necessarily unhappy, but that they were like these lone wolves. You know, they didn't need anyone. You know, they were a love him and leave him. They didn't they weren't they weren't required to be connected with someone else in a relationship. They were happy as these lone people. So I don't think he was trying to say that Sizemore as Hector was supposed to be sad, he was just supposed to be like, so tough, I don't need a chick, you know? Oh, I took it not like that. I took it more like unable to sustain that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what I got. But I loved it that they talked back to him and were like, yeah, well, too bad for you. We found each other. When Maeve was like, I'm not going to say it, but she was like, you know, well, I guess we weren't supposed to F then. Right, yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Maeve. Maeve. Awesome. Uh, Downstairs, we also run into an old friend who we've been kind of expecting to see. How'd you like the HBO, like, uh, little Easter eggs there with Armistice? Oh, yeah. I totally missed it. Whoa, over my head. Yeah, now that you point it out and spell it out, I got it. I was thinking robot hand. They have another robot hand show coming. (laughs) I'm giving the robot hand to Star Wars. Pulling off the glove, showing off, wiggling the fingers. That seemed like a very Luke moment. She's pretty badass. She's wicked badass. I love I mean, Armistice. Flamethrowers are like a tough weapon because if someone gets a shot in from behind, you're toast. It'll, it'll blow up with uh, you. It was awesome. You know? And then, like, turns out they have Felix and Sylvester captive. I guess it was more like she just wanted to keep track of them and couldn't trust that they that they wouldn't run away. <laughs> Good thinking. Felix is useful. Sylvester, I guess, has his uses, but isn't quite as nice to be around. So she gives him the grenade treatment. That was that, that was, was so funny. Oh my god, that was like Lost. Remember in uh, when uh, who is it? They're in New Otherton, and is it they put a grenade in Miles' mouth or something oh, like that? Yeah, and yeah. and make him just hang out there for a while. Yeah, no way. Ugh. Anywho, different shoe. Okay, you've already mentioned. That this episode, we started to knock down the barriers between parks. Mm -hmm. Did you expect us to knock down two 
park barriers I in really one show. I really did not. And I actually am like a little worried for the longevity of our show because I feel like it's an awful lot awfully quickly. Um, I mean, I'm sure they know what they're doing here, but by bringing samurais in and then having, you know, tigers going to Westworld, it feels like it feels like a lot of chaos really, really fast and like showing all these other lands so quick. It feels like Jumanji when like all the animals are running through the house and it gets like real crazy real quick. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't know that it's going to be able to sustain that level of chaos and we're not going to all enjoy it at that level for very long. You know, we're going to have to have some other thing going on. Now, they've they've expressed that they are going to take this out to the real world. I mean, that conversation between Bernard and Dolores or Wyatt probably at that point where she is kind of mocking him that as Bernard, he has never been out in the real world. Right. Yeah. And she has. And so she's going to like, I don't know, lord that over him, which was like a little awkward moment in time. Going back to my teenage analogy, didn't it yes. sound like a teenager that has it all figured out? Oh, hell Like yes. they've already got their law degree planned out and yeah. their penthouse in New York City. Right. And, and all the adults are idiots, you know, who just, never you know, figured it out. We're all embarrassments to them. It's just because I know what's coming. Yeah. And so I can go do it. Exactly. And so, I mean, I know that Endgame, I've got to think by the end of season two here, season three has got to be in the real world with these guys. But then that makes me think, well, we're not going to season five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This is going to go much faster than that because there was no reason to burn up all of India and then and and now get into Samurai World already or Shogun World is what they're calling it. I feel like it's like it's so quick. You know, it's so quick. But they have a lot of worlds. I mean, I didn't even expect India World. I mean, I would have I wouldn't have put that on my list. It's nice to know because at least in theory, um, you know, how last week we talked about and I know um, Ken from Chicago on Twitter and a couple of other guys were commenting on our last podcast about the fact that I had said that all of the settings that they had put the vacationers in were essentially war zones. You know, old Wild West, be a samurai, be a Roman gladiator. Oh, no, look at you. You want to you want to fight. Well, you're a jerk, human. And it's like, oh, but you put us here. So it was interesting to show India. Now, yes, they were going to hunt a tiger. And so, yes, in that regard, there was still that that sense of killing. But you also could just hang out by that beautiful palace and drink your tea and engage in some afternoon delight there you didn't have to go on that safari and it seemed like other people could just like hang out and eat in the woods and whatever, you know, have some fun. Maybe there's more easygoing worlds. That's what I'm suggesting is that perhaps if you choose to go to Westworld, now we already know we could put you in that category of a little bit more interested in fighting as opposed to, you know, maybe there's this whole like beach world or something where you just want to go lay on the beach and relax and hang out. You know, I mean, the beach boys are playing over there or something. I don't know, but it seems like it gives the idea that you could have a more relaxing, chill time because otherwise, like the guys were saying on Twitter, what information are you really gathering from us? If it's like all you do is set us up as, you know, people who have to fight for your life and then you fight and they're like, see, people like to fight. And I it's bet like, Beach Whoa. World would be a rampant DNA collector. <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. Samurai, that whole uh, campsite, though, when she like Maeve went down to like pick up what she thought was like kind of like a helmet and then the whole head came up. <laughs> Gross. 
it it wasn't an exact duplicate, but it had me thinking of the very opening scenes of Game of Thrones. Oh, which, yes. You oh. know, they've teased little Oh, little, with the Frozen. Little bits of connections between the shows all, you know, throughout the lifetime of the show and and uh, so, yeah, the very opening scene is when this this party of Night's Watch are looking for this group of people and they find them, but they're all chopped up into pieces and it's frozen out and, and it's, you know, and that's when they would get our first White Walker attack. But yeah. anyway, um, the part about lifting up the head and just kind of finding it like not attached to anything, that yeah. that very much reminded me of that, that opening scene. Yeah. Well, super gross. Although it was very exciting to have that samurai come like jumping out of the. But you got to have Sizemore lift it up, right? Fun. And he's got his. <laughs> I mean, he's got he's a totally pathetic character these I days. Feel so bad for him. You guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He's kind of like shaggy in a lot of ways. A right? little, little. Yeah. So funny. Okay, so let's get into the now timeline. Yeah, we just got a totally tiny snippet of that that was very important. It gave us. A couple key pieces of information. I'll set the stage. Strand, Bernard, Stubbs, and that gang are walking along train tracks, and they wind up in an underground area that the train tracks lead to. Inside is one thing we find out. Hale has survived. and it's she's like a train tunnel? Is yeah. That what it looked like into the but middle? it looked like probably not for realsies. It was like, you know, part of the underground part of the okay. park. So Hale survived. Okay. Yes, somehow, somewhere. And then the second part that was very interesting was they still didn't have Abernathy. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some real shenanigans that go on that, that he well, is still intact, but not in custody. Okay, so I feel like right there that it's possible that we're messing up the timeline a little bit there. Because I think that like she, when she is talking to them, she doesn't have her vest on. And earlier, when we had seen her the first go round when she was hiding by the tree with Rebus, she did have her vest on. So I feel like more time has passed. And when she is in that underground and she tells them, I'm going to need one of those, the vest things. Yeah. Like the chest protector kind of things. And then she goes in the buggy with them. Yeah. And then she goes and gets Abernathy. Yeah. I do think there's like this other time in between there that we still don't know about. Any scene with Strand... Uh, so is far. absolutely now. I agree. Yes. I know. I'm I'm personally a little fuzzy about this, about Hale and where exactly she is between when Bernard gets picked up from Rebus area and then when she's in that underground tunnel thing. I don't know how much time has passed there. I'm kind of confused. I'll be honest with you. We keep calling it two weeks ago, but now it's got to be closer to like, you know. 12 days, Some 10 days ago. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not exactly sure. So I have to, I'm going to leave that a little bit in my gray zone as like that. I'm not exactly positive. I'm going to need a little bit more information on that one. As usual, the previews just leave, because what they do with the previews is so diabolical. They take scenes from everything that's left yes. and mash it into one preview. So you have no idea what to expect for next week. But I don't still, know what's for next week, but, I, mouth watering, but right? I definitely feel like this idea of like they've absolutely set us up that Dolores is very aware that Teddy is not up for this next world and is not going to be able to, you know, if she keeps saying not everybody deserves to go. I do feel like regardless of whether she truly kills him or not, or somebody else does uh, or does something to him when she's watching over her shoulder, him not managing to kill the confederados and she's so disappointed in him i feel like 
you know, his fate is sealed as Do far as I'm concerned. In the first season when Ford is reprogramming him prior to the Wyatt storyline really starting to take hold, and he tells him, Teddy, would you like to have a small part in my new narrative? And he says, small part. And I'm thinking that small part was right up front in helping everybody be in the right place for the end of the of, of of the before time, but I don't know that he has much of a role going forward unless he figures it out for himself. And you know what? I think that in order for Dolores to go full Wyatt, she has to lose him because she she still is maintaining a little part of like sort of like a tender heart for him and and that whole kind of idea of like having a family or whatever that he's still family. That it's like in order to truly sort of transform into this way more ruthless character. It's kind of like old Thanos, if you will. It's like sometimes you got to lose something, you know, that's like most important to you to really be able to then take full power on. Very topical. Thanks. Guess who just saw Infinity War? <laughs> Guess who paid attention even though it was super duper late? This girl. <laughs> this girl. Props to you. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you. But I, I definitely, I feel like that is, is up in the air. Grace is still an, an interesting storyline for me. I want to know where that's going. I'm, I'm eager to understand. One thing that I did note was that when Bernard washed up on the sea way back, uh, he wasn't shaking then. And he was shaking so much, you know, all the times before this. So I'm wondering what changed and what he was able to access that he's not shaking when he is in the now with Strand. That's that's what makes me think he does find willing or unwilling donors of brain fluid along the way. I just don't know if that's all it is or if there's something more. I don't know. Something seems something seems different about him for sure. Hopefully he he hung on to that turkey baster he had in the underground with Hale that he used to suck it out of the other guy and stick it in his own brains. I hope so. That would be good. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you feel like, I mean, Maeve and Sizemore and Hector, I feel like we're we're on the straight and narrow. We understand we're getting to the homestead is what they explain. The preview select or the, the preview suggested next week is going to be man in black heavy because this week was man in black nil. Right. Which I'm excited because I think the whole William, I think that that is getting into that whole part where he was asking last episode, you know, um, we're going to answer the question that nobody thought to ever ask. I really want to get into that. Like, what was the main idea of this park? Is it immortality? Is that what the door is about? Are we trying to get to the other side of whatever the door is? If he has to find the door, what does that mean? I, I'm kind of interested in the bigger, bigger story um, because some of this stuff with the minutiae of whether Dolores stays with Teddy is very small compared to like the man in black and all of Delos and what, you know, did we figure out how to make humans hosts and, you know, that bigger overarching story that's happening. Yeah. I'm super duper curious about that. So thank you guys so much for listening and thank you guys on Twitter, especially uh, Ken from Chicago and all the guys who have been discussing with you uh, about our podcast and, and throwing around ideas. We always appreciate your feedback and you're welcome to contact us directly through dailyreview.com, daily review on Twitter, D-A-L-E-Y review. Also on Facebook and through so many shows.com. We're also on SMS radio on Mondays and Wednesday nights. Check out our other podcasts such as Colony and Handmaid's Tale running right now with alongside this same podcast thanks catch us on itunes or your preferred podcast software our website dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us 
please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.